Um, have you ever had discussions with other Christians where issues came up of which you had a difference of opinion? Has that ever happened to any of you? And I'm not necessarily talking about theological beliefs, but things that we would call matters of conscience. You know, the Bible doesn't speak to every possible thing. And so Christians sometimes, this is going to be hard to believe, but sometimes Christians actually get into arguments. Did you know that? Uh Uh-huh. Over things that some may feel are wrong, but others just don't see any problem at all. I remember growing up in a church that said going to movies was wrong. You weren't supposed supposed to go to dances either. All that movement, bad things could happen, you know? Of course, things like tobacco, alcohol, they were just, everybody knew those were bad, just don't do that. So I I never went to a movie until I was 16 years old and had my own driver's license. (laughs) That's right. I even went to the senior prom. I know. Didn't tell a soul at church, though. Uh-uh. Wasn't going to do that. You know, sometimes it can extend beyond these kinds of things to just opinions about stuff, right? Some uh, have a tendency to attach spiritual meaning to their opinions because it adds weight to their position. Much like the dispute I've mentioned here before about the color of a, the new carpet a church was installing. And uh, one group wanted it to be red because it stood for the blood of Jesus. In other words, if you disagree with me, you disagree with what? The blood of Jesus. And these disputes happen over all kinds of things from... What type of ministries are we going to have to what style of worship or preaching are we going to have and what should a church building look like? A lot of times these, these disputes occur across cultural lines. We send American missionaries to other cultures and they see things in that culture that they go, that would never pass in the American church and so they want to go and clean up the mission church to their biases And it doesn't go real well, does it? These kinds of things hurt the church. They hurt the unity of the church. The Apostle Paul, he knew this kind of thing was going on in the church at Rome there, in the book of Romans. And he wants to show, as he's been leading us down this uh, explanation of the gospel throughout the book of Romans... He's showing now how the gospel, beginning back back in chapter 12, expresses itself in all kinds of different situations. Including situations that involve church disagreements. Now, I know that we really don't need this message today, do we? Because we all just get along so well. But I'm marching my way through the book of Romans, and we're in the 14th chapter, and it's the passage, so we're going to look at it. Is that okay? 
And if you, if you don't need it today, just log it. And you might be in a church someday where there's disagreements that occur and you'll have Romans 14 to go back to. Right? Yeah, okay. First four verses of Romans 14. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I got to tell you, I find this passage extremely interesting. (laughs) Look at verse 2. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. And may I say, no offense to vegetarians in the crowd, okay? Because as you, the, the reason it's interesting to me is that the, as you read the entire passage, you study it, you see that those he calls weak, or who we may say are the newer Christians still understanding their faith, exploring their faith, are the ones who have more rules. It's the newer in the faith that, well, you ought not eat meat. It says back there in the Old Testament some things. It says that they regard one day as more important than another day. And those that have been walking with the Lord perhaps longer understand Scripture, maybe have an understanding of, a, of what grace is and have lived through the futility of rule-keeping, <laughs> have discovered the freedom that Jesus and His grace actually brings. So, my first point is this. Becoming strong in the Lord is being set free from rules. And I say a hearty amen to that. Becoming strong in the Lord is being set free from rules. And he's not saying in the passage that weak Christians aren't saved or even that they don't trust Christ. In fact, it's younger Christians that perhaps are even most fervent and diligent in trying to please Christ. Well, that's this holdover from their old way of establishing credibility or gaining righteousness, and it's called legalism. I mean, wouldn't legalism be the obvious trap for someone new in the faith? Everyone around me evaluates my efforts. So uh, God must just be the same way. I have to please my parents when I'm a kid, I please my teachers in school, please my boss on the job. It's just the way life works. And so it must carry over to the way God deals with me. i got to do everything I can to please Him and make Him happy with me. Tim Keller says about the passage, he says, The weak are any Christians, now understand this, the weak are any Christians who tend to promote and regard non-essential cultural, and ceremonial customs as being critical for Christian maturity and effectiveness. I got to thinking about that. Do we have any of those? Cultural expectations? 
personal preferences. I mean, it could be anything from music styles to dressing up for church or having a glass of wine. And to say that your musical preference or how you dress on Sunday or your abstinence or participation in alcohol or a mark of spiritual maturity is to take an issue of taste or custom or culture and you elevate it to this abiding transcultural mark. I'm a mature Christian. And what Paul is saying in the passage is that you may feel about a certain issue, what's right for you in this matter. But it may not be what's right for another follower of Christ. And you ought to accept one another. Because why? God accepts us all, right? He starts the passage with accepting one another even when we disagree over things. In verse 3, it says that God is accepting both, weak, strong. And the word for accepting here, folks, goes further than you might think. It means to bring oneself in as a friend, to be hospitable towards them, uh, to take them out to eat or have them into your home. It's not just putting up with somebody because Scripture says that's what you ought to do. I guess I'm going to have to accept you and love you, even though you're dead wrong. You see, becoming strong in the Lord is favoring people over issues. Again, this is for when you go to another church sometime, right? Becoming strong in the Lord is favoring people over issues. One of the missions that God has called us here at Grace Bible Church is to create a culture of love and acceptance and grace. And uh, we use this word connect. We have it on a poster out there. It's, it's It's our commitment to this. And it's more than just words on a poster. We want to continually be developing opportunities, a church culture where People are more important than personal preferences or issues that we might deal with. We want to connect and connect groups where people can understand one another and grow spiritually together and support one another. We want to connect across generational lines where kids feel a part of the adults and adults feel a part of the kids. And uh, we want to cross any cultural barrier and be known as a people that just love one another. Amen? Just love one another. And sometimes that means laying aside a personal preference, an issue, in favor of people, community. You know, over the years I've gotten to know a lot of people in this church and uh, God has brought people from many different backgrounds into this church and you may already know that, but uh, some have come from very traditional church backgrounds and some of you have never even been in a traditional church. (laughs) And I I, I think that one of the reasons that this church has grown up like this is because we've really attempted to establish a culture where people matter over issues. Don't get me wrong. When it comes to theology and the gospel that God has called us to preach and teach and live out, there is to be an uncompromising 
allegiance to it. But the list of uncompromised essentials must be quite short. (laughs) In writing to the church at Rome, Paul is identifying this. Well, it's really a struggle over defining what is spiritually mature. How do we know that we're strong in the Lord and not weak in the Lord? Obviously, there were some who were condemning others for not being very attentive to the rules as they perceived them. And the other side was condemning the rule followers for their legalism. Don't we sometimes feel a little justified in condemning legalism? And what Paul is saying is that condemnation or judgment of others It's just out of place in the church of Jesus Christ. It's destructive. It's both destructive to the individual, it's destructive to the community. I mean, it would be like somebody coming into the church and finding out that there are people in this church who occasionally drink beer or wine. Or maybe something else. And once they found out, they started a crusade to expel the beer and wine drinkers from the fellowship. Because they decided that's the godly thing for them to do. But the beer and wine crowd took issue with this. And they always bring up 1 Timothy 5.23 where it says that a little wine is good for the stomach, right? We got that one memorized, right? They would also fight back that Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into, wait for it, wine. Right? What happens sometimes is the beer and wine crowd don't stop at proving their point, but cast judgment on the rule following legalists. Verse 4 starts with the question, who are you to judge the servant of another? And it begins with this personal pronoun, you, which is emphatic here. It would be like us saying, who are you of all people to judge the servant of another? You see, becoming strong in the Lord is never judging his servants. He's working in their life. He's their master. Again, Tim Keller comments on this verse. He says, verse 4 is a strong warning against denouncing a Christian who differs from you in a matter of conscience. The word judge in this verse does not mean a simple evaluation, but a condemnation and denunciation. For example, Paul says here that eating meat is not sinful in itself. But a Christian may decide, perhaps for very good reasons, to abstain. In that case, it is very wrong to judge and condemn others for what they eat. Why? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? That person is not your servant. Let the Master, Jesus Christ, do the judging as to whether the other person is serving Him properly because we are not qualified to judge. Do we realize that when we judge a brother or sister as not behaving the way we ought, we think they ought to, we're actually placing ourselves in the place of Christ. We're usurping Him. I mean, the picture being painted here 
It would be like you visiting some rich person's house and they have a maid and a butler and you're going to go around giving the maid and butler instructions on how to do their job. It's not your place. Why? Because they're not your servants. So if we can't be straightening each other up, how are we supposed to live as a community? (laughs) Verse 6 says this, He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. Becoming strong in the Lord is pointing people to Jesus. I may eat meat, and you don't. You may say, one day's more sacred than another, and I don't. I may drink alcohol, and you don't. You may wear a suit and tie, and I wear jeans and flip-flops. <laughs> yeah. You may sing traditional songs. I may sing contemporary songs. You may think the church shouldn't own buildings. And I may say I don't see anything wrong with it. You may say the church has to meet on Sunday mornings to be the church. And I don't. But it's not about that. It's about him. And I've come to realize that Jesus can be trusted with the development of other people's behavior. (laughs) Amen. Jesus can be trusted with the development of other people's behavior. I have not been entrusted with that. And so I just need to point them to him. (laughs) His love for them will just pour over them and change them. And he will change their heart about things. He'll give them new desires and... Over time, certain behaviors begin to drop off. Others begin to develop. And things that perhaps they were even once legalistic about just loses its importance. They experience the freedom of grace. Pointing people to Jesus is the only way to change them. I mean, do we understand this? Judging always repels people. Acceptance always attracts people. And whatever Christ is saying to you about matters of conscience, well, live that way. Just live that way. However Christ is working in your heart and life, live that way. But when it comes to the community of believers, the the Bible is very explicit in some things and other things, it's not. And when it comes to our The fellowship of believers, it's about Christ and pointing people to him. Paul elaborates that in 7 through 9. He says, for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We all belong to him. We're brothers. And sisters in Christ, no matter what happens, whether we live or die, He is our Lord, He's our Savior, He's our coming King. I mean, don't you love the development of the passage? It starts with personal choices as to whether to eat meat or be a vegetarian. (laughs) And it ends with whether we live or die. We all belong to Him. I don't know what it is going on in the culture, but I, I think a lot about the future these days. Yeah, Maybe it's my age. Does anybody else think about the future a lot these days? 
I do. I, I think about what's, what's life going to be like in 10 years or five years or next year. <laughs> and as I study Romans, I, 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 I keep coming back to this question, is the church so singularly focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and His love for us and His love for the world? And He is binding us together with such a strong bond that we are going to stick together and be for one another and even thrive no matter what's happening around us. Or is, is the church sometimes mired in stuff like it was here in Romans 14? Arguments or personal opinions or preferences. So where are you most challenged when it comes to accepting other people? Think about it. Is there a shred of bias in your heart or prejudice? What issues? What issues stir up the greatest temptation to fight for your position? Is it a matter of conscience or is it something that is biblically explained? I need to stand on that principle. I mean, don't stretch it now. Is it explained biblically and I can stand firm on that or is it not? And I need to give grace. I just need to let some things go, perhaps. A week ago Saturday, I spent all day with the elders of the church and uh, we just do our annual January long planning meeting and what a great day of just camaraderie and relationship and friendship and prayer. And this past Monday and Tuesday I spent all day with the staff. What a beautiful time of camaraderie and fellowship and prayer and planning and vision casting. I just love being with people of this church. And uh, one of the prayers that I often have is that, Lord, continue to build unity in our church. Build unity. I've been around church all my life, and I, I know that sometimes unity is fractured. I, I know in many ways how... The unity that staff shares and that elders share, the leadership here shares and the, the bonds that we feel is, is not always the case. And I, I pray often, Lord, protect that bond that you've given to us and express further out into the congregation. Lord, build that unity. Protect that unity. Don't let these matters of opinion or preference as described in Romans 14, don't let them... Sneak in the back door, begin to wedge. Because Paul saw what was happening in the church at Rome. Just because of a difference of opinion. And he knew it was disruptive. It was so disruptive to the mission of the church and the mission of Christ through our lives. I often think of that, that, that little phrase that Francis Schaeffer made so famous. He said, love is the final Christian apologetic. I love that. Love is the final Christian apologetic. 
In other words, the way we love one another, the way that we love our neighbor, is the final argument that Christianity is true, that Jesus is real. Because when the world sees it, they just can't deny there's something not of this world in the way they love one another, the way they accept one another, the way they just accept me, a dirty sinner just lost and broken. They just take me in. So I ask you to pray with me. Would you bow your heads? Father, we do pray and come to you today as the author of our faith. You initiate our faith. You're the perfecter of our faith. You grow us in our faith. And we come to you as the head of the church. As our personal Lord and our personal Savior and, our, and the life within us. We pray, Lord, just as we shared this communion, this, this unity with you as the church and our Savior together, that we are praying today for an ever-growing, ever-powerful bond of unity and love between us as a church family. And Father, it extends past this local church. We pray for the churches who proclaim you as Lord and King across our city. I pray for my fellow pastors all across this city who are preaching the word today. That we are unified with them. We're on the same team. We're, we're seeking the same outcome. And that is the expression of the gospel in our community. That it may be redeemed. And one lost soul after another comes to faith in you because of the attraction of your love and the attraction of belonging to a body that is so accepting of one another and those that come in. And Father, just as you've spoken to me, would you speak so directly to each of us that uh, if there is a bias that I have, if there's an an opinion that uh, that's divisive, that you would help me to not only let it go and to come to terms with it myself, but to reach out and to accept the person who maybe I differ with. May I put acceptance above. May I put love above. I pray for it, Father. We need you, Lord. We need you to do this continually in us. Protect us. Keep us by your power. Lord, I come I confess bowing here I find my rest without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart I want to stand and sing Lord I need you